Today's Easter. It is probably the most important day in history. And for the church especially, everything that we do, who we are, what we're about, everything centers on this one day in history where Jesus rises from the dead. It's an important day. And I wanted to give an Easter sermon today. And it's interesting as, as a pastor, when you get up to preach, every Easter, the story's the same. The story doesn't change. But it's interesting that there's so many different things that are going on with this story. This story of Jesus going to the cross, dying, going into the grave, and then conquering death and rising again. There's so much there. Uh, but I thought it'd be really interesting today if we looked at this story of Easter, the story of the resurrection of Jesus, from the perspective of his best friend, Peter, one of his best friends, Peter the disciple, Peter the fisherman. If we looked at kind of his perspective on, on, on the resurrection, because he was there that first Easter, that first day where Jesus rises from the dead. What if we looked at kind of his perspective on it? So if you could open your Bibles or turn on your phones, or they'll be on the screen, the words will be on the screen behind me. We're going to start off with the words of Peter. And Peter wrote a letter 30 years after the resurrection. He writes this letter to this group of people who are trying to understand and follow Jesus. And he has these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Let's start there. He says this in his introduction to his letter. He says, Praise be to the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. So he's very joyous in this letter as Peter's writing. He's excited. And he says, praise be to God, with these key phrases. And if, if you like to write notes in your Bible, you can circle this phrase. In his great mercy, this idea of great mercy, he's given us new birth. If you want to underline new birth, into a living hope. If you want to underline living hope, through the resurrection. Great mercy, new birth living hope through this idea of resurrection. These are pretty big ideas coming from Peter to understand great mercy, to understand what new birth feels like, to have hope. And this is the message of Easter. Today I want to look at Peter's relationship with Jesus. And uh, we've been going through the book of Matthew with uh, the men's Bible study. We've been kind of going just chapter by chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And what we find is there's this theme there with Peter and his relationship with Jesus. And today I just kind of want to fly through the book of Matthew and look at Peter's relationship with Christ and how that affects him and how he eventually writes this. So the first time we see Peter, if we go to the slide of the picture on the boat, this is, Peter was a fisherman. This is a great photo of him on the Sea of Galilee. I think it was taken with a flip phone before the invention of the iPhone, so it's a little blurry. But imagine this setting. This is where Peter works. This is his office on this boat. And he fishes all day long, actually probably all night long, and uh, makes a catch, goes and sells the fish. And life is very simple for him. And as a fisherman, we know this is his profession. This is what he does as an occupation. 
In his first encounter with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said this to Peter, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it says at once they decided to follow Jesus. And you think, kind of a weird statement. They're, they have this occupation. They've got life figured out. Jesus comes and he says, come follow me. And he makes this pun. I'll make you fishers of men. And they just drop everything. When you understand the calling of Jesus, Jesus is this rabbi, this, this teacher. He's kind of a big deal. Even early on in his life, he's, he's a rabbi. So he's this authority figure uh, in his community. And he says, come follow me. The reason they drop everything is because this is a very sacred honor to have a rabbi say, come and follow me. Not everyone receives this calling. Not everyone has the ability to have a rabbi call him out and say, I believe that you can be my disciple and that you can become like me. So the reason Peter and Andrew just drop everything in the story is because it's a really big deal to have a rabbi say, come, follow me. This is the call of the rabbi. In fact, most people who receive this call of a rabbi are identified very early in life, probably by the age of, of 10 to 12 years old, whether or not you're bright enough and have what it takes to follow a rabbi, to become this expert in the law and the Torah uh, for the Jewish people. And what we know, Peter is already a fisherman. He has this occupation, which means when he was 10 to 12 years old, the rabbis overlooked him and said, you're probably not bright enough to become like me. So Peter starts his occupation as a fisherman. And then in the midst of him having this occupation, Jesus meets him and says, Peter, I see something in you that I believe you have what it takes to become my disciple. You have what it takes to follow me. So of course, he and Andrew would just drop everything. This is a huge honor bestowed upon him to follow Jesus. Jesus says, come, follow me. There's this meeting, this first encounter with Jesus and Peter, and it changes Peter's life, changes his direction. And then what we, we know is that as Jesus starts his ministry and he's going around and he's doing all these great things, he's feeding people who are hungry, he's healing the sick, he has this encounter with Peter's mother-in-law. In Matthew chapter 8, it says, When Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, and he touched her hand, and her fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him, because this was the 1950s. But she gets up and she's healed, and she starts to serve them. And what we find is that Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick, has now been healed by Jesus. And so Peter's seeing Jesus do all these great things, healing people, feeding people, and then all of a sudden it becomes very personal because Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So all of a sudden there's something, it's touched something close to his family. This Jesus has brought healing to his mother and then there's this other story in Matthew chapter 14, if we keep going through the Gospels. Starting in verse 22, it says, they're out on this lake, Jesus and Peter, the fisherman. They're out on this lake, and it says, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And the disciples, let's not miss that. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So he's walking on water. You can only imagine what that would have been like. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said it was a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And here, all of a sudden, Peter hears Jesus say this. Jesus is out on this lake, walking on water. They're terrified. They think he's a ghost. And then Peter speaks up. And what we find in the life of Peter and his relationship with Jesus is Peter always speaks up. 
He's very bold. He's very rash. He always has an opinion. And he says this, Lord, if it's you walking on the water, if it's you out there and not a ghost, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Jesus says, come out to to me on the water. Come, follow me. It's actually the same phrase that a rabbi uses when he calls someone to follow him. Jesus says to Peter, I'm walking on the water and I believe that you can do it too. Come out here. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Imagine that for Peter. He has such great faith that he could do what Jesus is doing, that he gets out of the boat and he believes. He has courage to step out to follow Jesus. He walks on the water. And then it says this. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out. And he said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out and caught him and said, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Which is a really interesting interaction with Jesus and Peter on the lake. Jesus has the courage, Peter has the courage to get out of the boat and he actually walks towards Jesus. But then when he sees his circumstances, when he sees the storm around him, the wind and the waves, he gets scared. And all of a sudden he doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He doesn't believe that he could do what Jesus tells him to do. There's doubt that creeps into his mind. And in that doubt, he starts to sink. And then Jesus reaches out a hand and helps him up. And Jesus says, why did you doubt me? You have little faith. Which I would be kind of upset if I was Peter. I'd be like, the other disciples are still in the boat. I mean, I got out and started to walk towards you at least. But there's this interaction where all of a sudden Peter starts to doubt that he can follow Jesus and do the things that Jesus is doing in this relationship. So there's this kind of doubt, this vulnerability that happens where Peter's like, I can't quite be what you're calling me to be. And then another story in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, there's this interaction between the disciples and the Pharisees, and, and, and this thing happens where they offend the Pharisees. And it, and it says, starting in verse 16, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you said this thing about them? And Jesus replies, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. Talking about these Pharisees. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit, obviously. Uh, Peter said, well, explain this to us. Explain this parable. So there's this interaction, this discussion between Jesus and these these self-righteous religious Pharisee guys um, that we don't have in our culture anymore at all, right? But they have them then. And and there's this interaction with them, and they're having this conversation, and Jesus is basically calling these guys out and saying, you know, if you guys are the religious leaders, you're not acting the way that you should be acting as religious leaders, and then uses this parable, as Jesus often does, to explain what's going on in this argument. And then Peter's like, I don't get what you're talking about, Jesus, And then Jesus says this to Peter, you don't get what I'm talking about. And he says, are you still so dull? Ouch. In the midst of this conversation, Peter, trying to understand what Jesus is saying, Jesus sounds kind of harsh right here. He says, are you still so dull, Peter? You don't get it. Which makes me think this isn't the first time Jesus and Peter have had this conversation about something. And he's realizing, Peter, it's not quite clicking yet. And it sounds almost kind of offensive. It's like, Jesus... You're supposed to be Jesus. You're supposed to be nice. But he says, are you still so dull? So they have this open relationship where Jesus can like call him out on certain things and say, come on, man, you got to be better than that, right? He calls him dull. Then this next story in Matthew chapter 16 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do you say that the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
And Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? He's trying to understand that these disciples get it. Do they understand why I'm here and who I am and what I'm doing? And then of course, the disciple that speaks up is, once again, Peter. And Peter says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, uh, for it was not revealed to you by man, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, Peter means rock, it's Petros, his name means rock, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Peter gets it right. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives a Sunday school answer, and he says, well, you're the Messiah, right? But it's actually a big deal because Peter's starting to understand who this Jesus is and why this Jesus came. And he's saying that you've been sent here to save and redeem all this, and you're kind of a big deal. And no one else quite gets it, but I've spent time with you now, Jesus, and I'm starting to understand who you are. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, And he gives them this great calling. You're going to be the rock upon which I build this movement that's going to transform the world. So one chapter, all of a sudden, Peter's this dull, doesn't get it, doesn't quite understand it. The very next chapter, he's getting it. And Jesus is giving him this great honor, Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. Blessed are you, Peter. You imagine probably this roller coaster ride. Peter's like, I'm not dull, right? I got it. This great blessing Jesus gives to Peter. And then the very next chapter, what we find is all of a sudden Peter's starting to get, say, I get it, I know who this Jesus is, and I know what I'm going to use Jesus for in this world. And in Matthew 16, verse 23, it says, From that time Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Jesus understands kind of where this is heading And he understands that what he's doing here is pretty radical and it's going to transform the world and it's going to upset the certain systems that are in place in the world that are quite oppressive. He's explaining that to his disciples. He's explaining to to them that Jesus is going, he's basically saying, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me, but that's okay because I'm eventually going to conquer death. And and Peter doesn't get it. Peter can't understand how can the Messiah die? How can the Messiah be killed? This can't happen. And so Peter took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke Jesus. That is never a good idea. He says, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, and he said this, get behind me, Satan. Which is like, if Jesus says, calls you Satan, that's like, that's, that's pretty bad, right? I mean, yikes, get behind me. He says, you are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of men. You don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of men. What I found in this story is that Peter, as he starts to try to understand who Jesus is and he's in this relationship with him, he has all sorts of agendas of, of what he wants Jesus to do in the world. And he says, I know what you're supposed to be, and I know that what we're going to do together and what it's going to look like. And what we find is that Jesus says, Peter, it's not going to look anything like what you want it to look like. That's not why I'm here. And here's what I found when it comes to our relationship with Christ so often, and when it comes to our passion, uh, there's, there's this quote behind me. It says, uh, Peter spoke as he did only because he loved Jesus so much that he could not bear to think of him treading that dreadful path and dying that awful death. And the hardest temptation of all is the one which comes from protecting love. 
There are times when fond love seeks to deflect us from the perils of the path of God, but the real love is not the love which holds the knight at home, but the love which sends him out to obey the commandments of chivalry, which is given, not to make life easy, but to make life great. And what Jesus is saying is the path that I'm on and what I'm going to do to transform this world is going to be tough, it's going to be painful, and they're going to kill me. And Peter doesn't get it, and Peter doesn't want to accept it. And Jesus says, this is what's happening. And what I've found is oftentimes in my life, I, I don't necessarily how, no, understand how Jesus works in this world and what he's doing. And I'm passionate about what Jesus is doing, but oftentimes it's what I want Jesus to do, not necessarily what he wants to do. And so any kind of path of resistance or path of, of suffering, I try to avoid that. Probably much like what Peter's doing here. And it's interesting, I think that Peter speaks out of love and passion for the Messiah, but it's the Messiah shaped in Peter's image that he defends. In this relationship with Peter and Jesus, he has an idea of who he wants Jesus to be. So often I find that that's true with me too, my relationship with Jesus. I have an image of who I want him to be and what I want him to do for me in my life to help me build my kingdom. And it's great that I'm passionate, but I also forget, no, Jesus actually has an agenda. He's at work doing something. And it's not about me trying to use him for my advantage, but understanding what he is a part of. And for Peter, when he starts to try to use Jesus for his advantage, he says, get behind me, Satan. What we find is that early on in Jesus' life, when he starts his ministry, he goes out into the wilderness, and for 40 days he's fasting, and he's tempted by Satan to be a certain kind of savior. And Peter starts to talk about his agenda for Jesus. And you have to wonder if that echo of Satan's temptation of Jesus comes through. And that's why Jesus says such a harsh thing, get behind me, Satan. So this relationship with Jesus and Peter goes from good to bad to you're dull to you're blessed, great job, way to go, to back to, oh, get behind me, Satan. This up and down roller coaster between Peter and Jesus. The story continues. A couple other things happen. Uh, the, the next chapter, there's a story of this transfiguration where this God, Jesus takes his disciples up onto this mountain. He takes his closest three and, and God shows up and there's this huge thing that's really kind of hard to understand called the transfiguration. What we find is God starts to speak through the clouds, this thunderous noise, and Peter actually interrupts God, and Jesus is like, Peter, what are you doing? Don't interrupt. And then there's other conversations that happen between Jesus and Peter, and there's this one about forgiveness. We talked about forgiveness a couple of weeks ago, and, and Peter's trying to understand what it means to forgive other people, and, and, he, and he says, well, I understand the Old Testament or the Torah, and to I should forgive someone seven times. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, no, not just seven times, but 77 times, Peter. You, you don't quite get it. I want you to take it a step further. There's more here that's going on in this story. And you've missed the point. And on and on, we see this relationship with Jesus and Peter, where Peter doubts, where Peter messes up, where Peter gets it right, where Peter uh, is offensive, where Peter is rash. And there's this roller coaster ride with Jesus and Peter. And what I found is that's very similar to my relationship with Christ, identifying kind of with Peter what it looks like to follow Jesus in this world. But then the story starts to get especially dark in this relationship. This last week, we had this thing called Holy Week in our Christian calendar where we talk about this story. What we find is that in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is having a dinner with his disciples, his followers, 
And in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 26, Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if I fall away on account, even if all fall away on account of you, Jesus, I never will. All the other guys, all your other friends, they might leave you if something bad happens, but I will never fall away from you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you, Peter, will disown me three times. And Peter declared, even if I have to die, I will never disown you. I'm your friend. I'm here. I'm loyal. I'll be with you through anything. He just says, no, 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 no. You're going to leave me too. You're going to betray me. You're going to disown me. And then in Matthew chapter 26, we find Jesus gets arrested. And Jesus gets tortured. And Peter's there waiting, and, and he's He's kind of figure out what's going on here, and he's completely shocked of what's going on here. In verse 75, Peter was sitting outside of this courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, you were also with Jesus of Galilee, but Peter denied it before all of them. He said, I don't know anything about that. I'm, I don't know who this guy is, and goes through this gateway, and all these people are around. Another girl comes to him and says, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter says, no, I wasn't. He denies it, and he says, I, I, I don't know this guy. I, I don't, I don't. And after a little while, those standing around there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives it away. And when he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore, and he said, I don't know the man. I don't know who Jesus is. And he knew if he did say something, he would get in trouble, so he completely denies knowing Jesus. And then it says, A rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken, Before the rooster crows three times, he will disown me. And then it says Peter goes and he weeps bitterly. This relationship with him and Jesus, all of a sudden he denies them when the going gets tough. He does exactly what Jesus says he does. He denies Jesus. And then Peter realizes what he's done. And he goes out and he just weeps bitterly. This rooster crows and he hears these words of Jesus saying, you will disown me. And we know in this story Jesus goes... He's tortured, goes to the cross. All of these people scatter. They have, some of the closest friends abandon him. And for Peter, it's over. For Peter, he disowns Jesus. He doesn't stick up for him. He just says, I never knew the man. He walks away. Can you imagine what Peter would have felt at that moment? This guy who said that he was the Messiah, that said that he's here to save the world, is all of a sudden been crucified and died. He's been killed. You've disowned him. All of your follow, all the followers have scattered. Thursday night was uh, Monday Thursday, this time where uh, we remember Jesus' last supper with the disciples, where he starts to explain that he's come to bring this kingdom of love and service to the world that's going to bring healing and redemption. And we find later that night, this kingdom that he's all about has been uh, so radical that the religious leaders, the political leaders, all these people are so upset with Jesus that they take him, they arrest him, they go take him through this unfair trial, and on Friday they kill him on the cross. They crucify Jesus on Good Friday, and we celebrated that this week. And there's this darkness of hope, we thought there was hope for the world, and that hope is gone. For Peter, he had to have felt the weight of that probably more than any other person. All the doubts are confirmed, all the ways that he got it wrong, all of this, all this 
this movement of Jesus has fallen apart. And you understand what, maybe what Peter feels in that moment. His relationship with Jesus, his best friend, has now been killed. John, the Gospel of John, kind of picks up on what happens next. And of all the resurrection stories, I think this is my favorite. Especially because it talks about what happens with this guy, Peter. And in John chapter 20, on that first Easter, it says in verse 4, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, which is himself. He gives himself this alias, the one who Jesus loved. And he said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and this other disciple started for the tomb, and both of them are running. So Peter all of a sudden realizes that this Jesus who's been killed and put into the grave is missing from the tomb. And Peter runs out to the tomb, and he says, trying to figure out where he is. They can't imagine what's going on in Peter's mind right now. The last encounter he had with Jesus is him denying Jesus, him walking away with Jesus. And he sprints to the tomb and says he'd been over and looked at the strips of linen lying there in the tomb. They did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrives and he went into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as a burial cloth that had been around Jesus's head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. And then there's Peter, starting to click, starting to understand what's happened here. Jesus said he's going to die, he's going to rise from the dead. Peter still denies him. And all of a sudden, the tomb is empty. Peter gets to it. He says when they had, imagine what's going on in Peter's mind. Is he hopeful now that Jesus is not here? Is he scared that he's denied him and Jesus is, if he is risen from the dead, they're going to have this confrontation I can't imagine what Peter is is thinking. But what we find is when they finally have this encounter, the risen Christ comes to Peter and they have this conversation. It says in John chapter 21 that they're eating together. And Jesus comes to Simon and he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you truly love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And again, he said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. And a third time he came to him and said, Simon, Peter, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And he said, goes on to tell him these different things about his life. And then at the end of this conversation, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. After everything that Peter's done, after he's disowned Jesus, Peter, who knows, Jesus, who knows everything about Peter, that he's dull, that he has all sorts of different agendas about life. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I know the worst things about you, and I want you to still follow me. The call of the rabbi, follow me. Jesus still pursues Peter after knowing exactly how Peter's going to be. And it's the same call that Jesus has when he first meets Peter. At the end of the story, the resurrected Christ comes to Peter and he says, I still think you have what it takes to follow me. And what we find is that this story isn't about Peter. This story isn't about how good Peter is. This story isn't about what Peter knows. This story isn't about whether Peter is going to fulfill his commitments to Jesus. 
This story is about Jesus. This story is about the Messiah and how he interacts with Peter. What we find is that Peter isn't good enough to follow Jesus, but Jesus is good enough for Peter. Jesus says, follow me. I still believe in you. You can still be my disciple. You can still be a part of this rescue plan to change the world. There's this reinstatement of Peter here. And can you imagine what that would have been like for Peter to have this encounter with Jesus where you know that you've screwed things up, you know that you've doubted, you know that you've messed it, messed it up, you've failed your commitments. And he still believes in you as much in that moment as he does the first time he meets you. What we find is that through the resurrection of Jesus, everything changes. All the ways that we screw up in life, all the things that we do, doesn't matter because of what Jesus has done. And he invites us to follow him. He invites us to follow him. So 30 years later, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, when Peter is trying to tell others what it's like to be a part of this movement of following Jesus, what it's like to be a part of a church, people on mission to love and serve and redeem the world. He writes this letter and he says these words. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, I think Peter understands what great mercy is from his encounter with Jesus. He has given us new birth. I think Peter understands what new birth is to have a second chance to start over. This great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. I think Peter understands the difference between hope and despair. And all of this happens through the resurrection of Jesus. Because resurrection changes everything. I wanted to end our time today with this quote from one of my favorite theologians. When it comes to this relationship with Peter and Jesus, what we find is that Peter is this disciple, but he's probably not that much different than each one of us. Screws up, messes up, doesn't get it, misses the point. And Jesus still says, I'm going to pursue you, Peter, because I believe in you. Through the resurrection, you're good enough. I love this quote from Tozer. It says this, Anything that God has ever done, he can do now. And anything that God has ever done anywhere, he can do right here. And anything that God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. This Easter, we celebrate resurrection. May you know that this Jesus, who's patient with Peter, who lived life with Peter and knew the worst things about him, calls him after the resurrection with the same call when he first met Jesus, first met Peter. And this Jesus invites us today with that calling to come and follow him. He knows who you are. He knows everything about you. He knows the ways that you'll screw up. He knows the ways that you'll get it right. He knows the ways that you'll have noble attempts to do great things in this world. He knows that you will deny him, betray him. He knows that you probably... Do that to other people as well. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter. I love you so much. I'm going to pursue you. And I want you to be a part of this story, this family of people who are committed.
So today, as we move towards communion, when it comes to your relationship with Christ, when it comes to being a part of this story, maybe you're like Peter, and today you just need to be reinstated. You just need to come to this moment where you have this come to Jesus and allow him to just say, I love you, and I believe in you, and I want you to follow me. Maybe this relationship with Christ is a brand new thing to you. We believe that it's real. And it's the way to true, eternal, and fulfilling life. Maybe today you need to start this relationship with Christ where you've seen the heart of who he is. You see that he is good, that he's patient, that he doesn't give up on us. And through the resurrection of Jesus, you have a new start. Matt's going to close us with a song and um, I want to spend some time just reflecting on that. Wherever you are today in that relationship, maybe it's a time to be reinstated, maybe it's a time for the first time to start with Jesus. We close every service here at Desert City with communion. Communion represents basically what happened with Jesus on the cross. The bread represents the body of Christ, which was broken open for us. And in this breaking of his body, what we find is that there's healing for all of the broken things in this world. Broken relationships, our broken emotional state, broken physically. Through the breaking of God's body comes healing. And then the juice represents the blood of Christ which was shed and poured out on the cross. We believe that through uh, the, the, the bleeding of Jesus, uh, through the blood that's poured out, um, it brings life to the world. And that it washes away all of the ugly, broken things about us. That it just washes them away. And through the blood of Christ, we're made clean. Jesus invites us into that story today. So as you take the communion and you experience the broken Messiah, may you know that that happens so that we may have healing and wholeness in life. Um, so we're going to spend some time reflecting, and then when you're ready, you can move to communion if you feel comfortable doing that. If there's anything that you would like today just to have prayer about, we'd love to pray for you. We'll have some people just kind of standing in the back corner. Um, maybe you come in with certain weight. Maybe you come in with certain brokenness and some desire for, uh, to just meet Jesus today. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe your relationship with Jesus is brand new. Maybe you don't have one. I'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. The call of Jesus today for all of us. It's the same the call that he had for Peter. This post-resurrected Christ says, come, follow me. Because my resurrection has changed everything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this Easter Sunday. Lord, as we look at this story of Peter's relationship with you, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the ways that he screwed up, the ways that he got it right. Allow us to find ourselves in this story. Knowing that you love us the same way you love Peter, you pursue us the same way you pursued Peter. Even to the point that when uh, we deny you, Lord, you don't deny us, you don't give up on us. As we celebrate this risen, Lord, your life that conquered death, this resurrection, may we find this great mercy and new birth into a living hope, much like Peter did today, Lord. We thank you 
for the resurrection and what we have to look forward to. And we thank you for what that means for us now. In your son's name we pray, amen.